0: Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. This week we welcome special guest, Monsignor Cummings. To be or not to be, that is the question, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. That, of course, is Hamlet's great question, whether to be or not to be, that is whether to live or to die. Essentially, he was asking the same question that confounds so many people. What is the point of life when suffering and evil are such a large part of it? Tempted to end his life by his own hand, Hamlet shows that a deeper, more transcendent meaning to life and to suffering had eluded him. He was only held back by fear of the unknown. As he continues, the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. He chooses the option to be, to live and bear life's burdens out of fear of worse sufferings in another life. In today's gospel, the Lord Jesus poses another question, one which really should be the key question in the life of a truly wise man. To love or not to love, that is the question. Do you love me? This is the question that the risen Lord Jesus asks Peter three times and repeatedly, daily, asks you and me. Upon our answer, as was the case for Peter, rests our fittingness for the service of his kingdom, as well as our happiness in this life and our worthiness for the kingdom in the next. Hamlet feared a sea of troubles, but the love of God enables us to welcome troubles for his sake. This presupposes faith in the afterlife, in that undiscovered country. St. Paul tells us the sufferings of of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So we see the importance of believing in our Lord's resurrection from the dead. He is stronger than death because he's God. God is love. Love is stronger than death. Love is eternal life. He who is, who made us to share that eternal life. And if he is eternal, God must dwell in a kingdom not of this earth. And we had a glimpse of it through, through the eyes of St. John, who had a vision of it, in the second reading. When John was on Patmos and he saw the four living creatures and the ancients all throwing down their crowns before the Lord. This is the kingdom with places in it for you and for me. Did not Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you? This great love of God for us, expressed by creating us, for happiness by sending his son to enable us to get there should make us want a sacrifice for him. And every time suffering comes into our life, let us remember his question, do you love me? The Lord Jesus predicts to Peter that he will die for him a martyr with his hands stretched out, led where he does not want to go. In this way, Jesus confirms that now, following the resurrection and fortified by the Spirit, about to be poured out on Pentecost, Peter will have the courage to die for Christ. Remember how at the Last Supper, Peter had promised that he would die for Christ, and then Jesus said, no, you'll deny me three times this very night. But now, Christ assures him inviting him to make this threefold affirmation of his love that he will have the courage to die after all. And every time Peter suffered, and certainly in that final agony on his cross, he surely thought, I love you, Jesus, and so I gladly die for you. In fact, we see Peter exhibiting this attitude for the first time in the first reading. The excerpt that we we read actually leaves out the intervention of Gamaliel. If you remember, Gamaliel, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, stands up and persuades them to let the apostles go. But before they do, they have the apostles beaten, flogged. And this is the dishonor that they suffered cheerfully for the sake of the name. See what love can do, changing them from timid men into ones who are eager and happy to be flogged for the sake of Jesus. The love that God and Jesus desire is shown in deeds, in doing the will of the Father, as Jesus did all the way to the cross. In keeping his commandments, no matter the cost, John will tell us this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, that we be faithful And we see this expressed so beautifully, so boldly, by Peter. We must obey God rather than men. And then later he adds, and the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. The Second Vatican Council, at the Second Vatican Council, the successors of Peter and the other apostles wrote in one of the documents, deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. It's vital that we have a correct conscience to guide us through life so that, like the apostles, we truly will be obeying God rather than men. The conscience is, in essence, the ever-repeating, resounding question of Jesus Do you love me? Do we love Jesus when circumstances get difficult? Do we obey God rather than men? Does our conscience even alert us to the occasions when this choice is before us? I have a few examples which uh, for you are probably very real for you because you're in the world. For me, life is pretty easy because I live in the seminary where it's a very unusual environment, of course. But for you and for most Christians, that is not so. So a few examples. Suppose you have a boss who asks you to work on Sunday. Do I skip Mass or do I find an early one near work or do I go on Saturday night or do I tell my boss that I can only come in after Mass? Another, there's a couple who lives together before marriage because the mentality, the worldly mentality of today, says that it's sensible or necessary or inoffensive to do so. But what does God and the church say? To follow the majority is to obey men rather than God. Or even perhaps there's a girl in high school who wishes to uh, now present herself as a boy. Do I comply and use a male name and pronoun? Perhaps I'm a teacher there and I may get fired if I don't comply. Will I obey God boldly or men? And finally, I I may have a Catholic nephew who's marrying, wants to marry outside and wants therefore to have a civil ceremony, doesn't have permission. Maybe the bride wants to write her own vows, and there's much pressure from the family that I attend. Do I obey men or God? There's many other situations in which either peer pressure or pressure from non-practicing family members, or increasingly pressure from society, including laws and policies, the violation of which could lead to great sacrifice, require me to choose. Will I obey God or men? Am I willing and eager to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name? Does the prospect of eternal life, of a place in the kingdom, make me value lightly the goods of this world? Does my conscience alert me to the many ways that people around me are choosing an easy path because they don't love God? Does my conscience echo the voice of Jesus do you love me? Most especially I would like to emphasize the the worldly thinking of our day which is making so many Christians act in a manner that's not only unchristian but even irrational. Many Christians have dulled their consciences with lies and rationalizations so that they can be acceptable to the world. My brother told me of of a of a good example of a father who was warning his children of this with the image of a, of a riptide, if you know in some parts of the ocean. A kind of current that carries one off to sea unless one knows how to swim very carefully and with great determination against it. Many wonder if in fact it's not the church that needs to catch up with the times by changing moral doctrine about things like homosexuality and divorce, or allowing women to be priests or something like that. However, the church literally cannot change what is either revealed or inscribed in nature as these matters are. Moreover, such a Christianity would be fruitless and pointless. It would be like the fishing of the apostles who toiled all night and caught nothing. And indeed, in places where the local bishops and priests do not teach the truth boldly, no one goes to church anymore. On the contrary, if we hear with our consciences Christ pointing out, cast your nets there, take a stand there for the sake of my name, then we will draw many fish. Faithful souls obedient to God and to the Holy Spirit will bear much fruit. This is true of clergy, but it's also true for you. So so many mothers and fathers wonder, how will we persuade our own children to continue in the faith as they grow up? Well, I would say, let them see that you're willing to suffer for the sake of the name. If they perceive that you are a hero who's willing to cheerfully suffer dishonor, to stand alone before the whole world without fear, Rather than disobey God or deny the Savior, they will be proud to follow in your footsteps as a Christian, and they too will be faithful Catholics. So let us pray. Lord Jesus, grant us to love you truly in word and deed, and find ways to show our fidelity every day. Help us to answer that question, to love or not to love well. Like St. Peter, may we answer you with a resounding and authentic, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you.